and if someone had told me two years ago that we would have been having this conversation right now, I, I would have said, nah, not, not a chance, but it, it matters and it helps our folks do better um, in, in their cognitive performance as well as their, their mental well-being. Welcome to the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast, where we give you real tools to train ultimate humor performance both on and off the emergency scene. I'm your host, Kevin Housley. Let's get to it. The Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast is brought to you by BruteForceTraining.com. Enter the code FIREFIGHTERCRAFTSMANSHIP at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Brute Force Training provides unstable and odd object load training systems that are adaptable to meet whatever needs you want, and they will absolutely give you all that you can handle. Check out their new adaptive filler design, which allows customization down to five pound increments. This is a great option for ease of entry for yourself and your crew to get relevant odd object training that will help you perform on the emergency scene. So brute All right, so welcome to the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast, where we empower emergency responders to master stress resilience, foster a fulfilling career, and enrich your personal life. And today we're honored to have Chief Mike West join us. And Chief West is from Front Range Fire Rescue in Northern Colorado. He's been in the fire service for a couple of days, and he's doing some pretty amazing stuff in relation to human performance and taking care of his people. So we're going to kind of explore some of those threads and have a pretty fun conversation. So I hope, I hope I have enough paper sitting here, Chief, because I'm going to take a whole lot of notes um, along good. the way. So thank you very much for spending some time. So would you do a, just a brief intro and tell everybody who you are that if they haven't had the fortune to meet you yet? Uh, it's uh, Thanks, Kev. Uh, Mike West, I'm the fire chief at Front Range, like uh, Kevin said. Front Range Fire Rescue is a small career organization here in Northern Colorado. I've been a fire chief here for five years. And prior to working at Front Range, I uh, worked in a little organization down south uh, that uh, um, that I had the good fortune of working uh, 30 years at, and that was at South Metro Fire Rescue. And um, that was uh, before South Metro was 30 stations and seven or 800 members and, and all of those things, but got to experience a lot of that growth through that time and a lot of uh, a lot of really great innovative projects that we were able to do there. And prior to that, I was a firefighter on the East Coast, uh, originally from the uh, the great state of New Jersey, uh, land of uh, Springsteen and uh, and all things good on the Jersey Shore. That was before Snooky and the situation. And um, and I'm a fourth generation firefighter, so my family, uh, my my foster family, if you will, has been in the in the fire service since 1905, and uh, just. Uh, just happy to to be doing this. And I've been doing this now for knocking on 42 years. It'll be 42 years in, uh, in April. That's amazing. That's a heck of a journey. So we appreciate, appreciate all you've done for all of those different communities for sure. Um, so let's kind of talk, let's get into the meat pretty quick here. So let's, let's talk about the journey, you know, so you talked about having experience, you've had experience, you know, with East coast culture kind of back in the day. And then now, um, yesterday I heard a thing of like, oh, you guys in Colorado are so progressive, you know, um, and and some of that's true, but it's definitely different, you know, when you go across parts of the country or you have opportunities to spend time elsewhere in firehouses or teaching classes. I mean, it's, there's definitely different culture. There's certainly different building construction. There's different stuff on the engines, on the trucks, how we deploy resources. 
um, all of those sorts of things, you know? So, I mean, you've had experience as a backseat firefighter all the way up to chief of department at multiple different size departments, um, yeah. for sure. And have been an integral part of maybe growing some of those resources for a, a department like South Metro that's doing some pretty cool stuff in relation to human performance, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, kind of talk about that in relation to humor performance. How have you ebbed and flowed or seen progression? And I mean, we still have a long ways to go, but we've certainly come a long ways as well. So how do you how do you see that progressed over the last 42 years? It, it's, uh, you know, I think we've all seen the, you know, the evolution, uh, you know, scene where, you know, a fish or whatever becomes, you know, a, a, some type of an animal becomes a, a chimpanzee becomes a, you know, man. Uh, and, and I think that that's what I see with the whole wellness, uh, physical and, and mental wellness of the fire service. Uh, I think back to 42 years ago and, uh, and, and even I'll, I'll go a little bit less than that, uh, 30, 35 years ago at South Metro, um, I was working at a firehouse and, and, uh, we had pretty nice weight equipment, um, given, you know, given the time and I, was in the back room and uh, working out one day and the captain came by and said, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I was working out cap. And he says, don't do that. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, because you, you, you don't want to work out because you need all of your strength to go on this next call. So you don't want to wear yourself out by doing things like working out and uh, to so again, um, you know, what what South Metro and, and the fire service has evolved into is as far as the entire picture. Um, think back to the days of, of our mental health where uh, we, we knew what bars opened up at 7 or 7.30 a.m. So that when we got off work, if we had a, a long night or a rough call or whatever it was, we would go play a couple rounds of pool and drink a few beers before we went home. And where that's evolved to and, and where we are with mental health. So I've seen just such a, a change that that evolution from from start to where we are now. And I think you just said it. It's if if the curve of evolution has been like this in firefighter health and wellness, suddenly there has been a spike. And I can't tell you exactly how long, maybe in the last five years, maybe since COVID. Um, whatever it was, that spike has now taken off. And and there's so many, uh, uh, you know, uh, right now I'm on the very best podcast I'll be on this month, but th this is the third or fourth that that I've been on uh, talking about wellness. And and so that's exciting for me because because I think that we need to be talking about this. And part of it is the science where we're understanding the science a little bit better and understanding how to take care of our men and women uh, better. Um, part of it is because I think COVID, a friend of mine recently described it so well, um, a big, uh, when I was a tactical guy, when I was a captain, a lieutenant, um, I was very, very much into the science of thermal imaging and how to better use ticks on, on the fire ground. And a, a friend recently said that, you know, um, that when we go into a what we would call a, a, a low contrast environment where there's not much going on, an air conditioned room like this, and we're just looking for a smells and bells call, sometimes it's difficult to see because uh, the thermal imager, everything is the same temperature and the variation is very small. And when things get hot, 
we see things a lot better. And I think that COVID and some other things over the last couple of years have increased the heat in our in our ability to see where we were mentally and physically. And it really has uh, made things a lot clearer that we needed more uh, resources, better resources, more scientific resources, not just the bro science that we've had for so many years. Yeah, that's a that's a really good analogy for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to time to dive into this, but that, you know, increasing that heat is exposed. There's amazing work being done, you know, with peer support teams and things like that. And, and uh, you know, post-incident therapy, talk therapy, using clinicians, EAP, like you'll hear me on this podcast say over and over and over, I'm a huge fan of that. It's a little teeny sliver of the overall puzzle. Right. And so let's kind of dive into building resilience with our members before they need it. Yeah. Um, Cause that's kind of our jam here at firefighter craftsmanship of um, we have some good resources that we can refer you to if you need people to talk to, um, but we're really interested in how can we mobilize and, and uh, create mental fitness for people that are coming into the career already in the career. And this is emergency services altogether. Um, or, you know, even as a transition out of the career or are already out of the career, like all of those, all of those people have different needs, but they all need mental fitness that isn't necessarily just talk therapy related. So what are some of the things that you, you all are doing at Front Range Fire Rescue to try to empower your folks to be tough, really tough, right? Um, and, but also um, to be vulnerable enough to reach out to those things where maybe after the call, it's like, man, that was a, that was a bad day. You know, some days we go to work and it's just a bad day that, I mean, there's no, no other way to put it. How, what do you absolutely. guys do? No, absolutely. And, I, and I'll talk about a couple of the programs in a second, but let me just uh, tack on it as you know, because we've had such a long relationship, you know, I'm a, I'm a story guy and, and uh, years and years ago, back in the late nineties, I was a Lieutenant and I really got passionate about rapid intervention teams and teaching saving our own and drags and carries and and packaging and and uh, writ bottles and and all of those task level saving our own things that you know that's that's what we need to do to be able to reduce line of duty deaths on the fire ground and along comes a guy by the name of Don Abbott who does a you know uh, a grant funded survey unfortunately he just passed away recently but 12,000 or so maydays that he studies over the course of a decade and what he comes back with in his data is that, you know, RIT is an important thing that we have, but it really only accounts for about, depending on the day, about 5% of our successful Mayday rescues. Really, uh, if, if we give good self-help instruction to that firefighter who's in a jam, 50% um, of the time they can save themselves. And if they can't save themselves, they've got a partner or someone nearby uh, that inside-out rescue that that can help them right in that immediate area far quicker than the outside rat uh, rapid intervention team can get in the in the door. And so, to your point, that's how I see mental health and and wellness in the fire service is that we do seem to spend a lot of time talking about. Uh, the clinicians and the therapy uh, modalities and EMDR. And these are all fantastic teams uh, are, are tools and they're tools that I've used personally. But all that being said, we get, in my opinion, a lot more bang for the buck 
if we give that self-help, that resiliency, that mental toughness that you're talking about, if if we use the same uh, Mayday scenario, that's half of my battle right there. And then if I can build a culture within the organization where I've got a supportive culture, that takes care of the other 40 or 45%. And absolutely, there are occasions that we absolutely need those specialized resources, the writ of mental health to come in and take care of us. But we've really spent a lot of time uh, in two, two broad categories, the first being increasing mental health amongst uh, our responders. And we have a couple of ways that we do that. And then we also have, uh, I think, when I got here, this culture was fantastic. It was like no fire service culture I had ever experienced in my career. Uh, the, the way people care about each other, the way people communicate with each other. Uh, fantastic. What we did was we took all of that through a course of about a year, talked about it, wrote it down, edited it, uh, and, and, and really codified what we refer to as the front range fire re uh, rescue way, which again, we stole that idea from Phoenix and, and Orange County, a few other places, but, but it truly was ours. So those two broad categories are how we're doing it. And just as an example, uh, when we talk about self help and, and resilience. Uh, we've started a program with the David Lynch Foundation uh, out of New York City in teaching our firefighters voluntary. They don't have to do it, but uh, voluntary. Uh, they sign up and learn transcendental meditation. And it's a four-day class. And we've put, so far, we've put about 40% of our members uh, through the program. In February, we're going to branch out a little bit. And uh, we're taking, we're offering to our recruits uh, we've got about 10 recruits that'll be going through the academy and we're going to offer them the class before they go to the academy. And what we know from David Lynch and, and Transcendental Meditation, uh, we know that uh, we can improve our sleep. Uh, we're taking a couple of scoops of stress out of that big bucket uh, each day. We're taking a couple of ladles, if you will, and uh, and slowly kind of lowering that bucket so that stress doesn't uh, doesn't cause us as much. Uh, Transcendental meditation is uh, actually endorsed by the American Heart Association as a non-medical way to reduce blood pressure and stress in the cardiovascular system. All right, so these are all things that really impact fire service line of duty deaths, of course. Um, and and I, I'm sure I mention it because it's my favorite topic anymore is sleep. Uh, we find that we're getting to sleep a little bit quicker. So whether you're ruminating about, you know, an argument that you had or some stressful thing you've got coming tomorrow or the last bad thing that you saw at a call, um, if we can process that a little bit better through some meditation, um, it, it really helps. And, and so, so far, uh, fantastic. Um, now I got to tell you, Kevin, one of the things that you said earlier, and it's, you know, as a guy who grew up across the river from New York City, sometimes uh, the city has this, this rep of being kind of stuck and traditional and not open to things like that. But what was interesting is I went down, I personally went down the road of, of TM. I was looking for an answer for some stress, signed up and, and put myself through a class locally here in Colorado. And then I thought, boy, there's an av avenue here. I bet you firefighters could benefit. And of course, I, I got on Google and I said, you know, are firefighters doing transcendental meditation? And the first department that pops up is FDNY. 
and FDNY has been involved with the David Lynch Foundation through uh, Commissioner Cassano for the last couple of years. And uh, so so we, we're we doing it a little bit differently. FDNY does it kind of post-problem, post-addiction, uh, post-PTS. We're trying to get in front of it to give the tool before we have the problems uh, of those issues, but a, a different environment for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's it's cool to hear, I mean, Jason Bresler there at FDNY, Leadership Under Fire and, yeah. and you know, Commissioner Cassano endorsing all this stuff is, it's really cool to see a massive operation like that, the biggest fire department in the world um, say, hey, this is, this is a big deal and run, you know, all their newly promoted lieutenants and all that stuff through some mental performance training. So lots of really cool resources out there. That's not just a bunch of hippy dippy baloney, right? It's, it's not. And it's, uh, you know, truly like when you think, I'm sure everyone, if I say, you know, meditation, I think that's a little bit more mainstream in society today. If I say meditation, uh, even if, uh, you know, one of, one of our firefighters doesn't meditate, they have a friend or a family member, a spouse or someone that does yoga or meditate. So it's not too far out there uh, outside of the normal uh, day-to-day conversation. But to think about doing that in a firehouse and and no joke, Kevin, I'm in the firehouse right now. And if I walk out of my office uh, on my door, you'll find a door hanger that says eh, a little tough there says, you know, I'm meditating. And then it says I'm, I'm, I'm refreshed. And you'll find these up and down the hallway at our headquarters you will find them up and down the hallway uh, in the bunk rooms and the firehouse. And uh, it's it's become a, a mainstream thing here. And, and if someone had told me two years ago that we would have been having this conversation right now, I, I would have said, nah, not, not a chance. But it, it matters and it helps our folks do better um, in, in their cognitive performance as well as their, their mental well-being. So, I mean, how did you get buy-in? Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of impact um, and I'm, I'm hopeful to get, you know, Chief Brian Brush on here and talk about his his great analogy of influence versus impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know you've you've talked to Brush a bunch and he's got some good stuff, but so, I mean, yeah, you're the chief of department, what you say goes, but that doesn't mean you actually get buy-in, right? Like, okay, whatever, chief, you know? So how how have you been successful as a chief of department, because you were successful as a backseater, as a lieutenant, as a captain, you know, an officer, as a battalion chief, as a division chief at other organizations, how have you been able to create that? Um, or how can how can somebody that's maybe shaking the trees at as a backseater, trying to trying to change maybe some old guard methodology about well, you just got to suck it up and pull your boots up. And let me be clear, there's a time to suck it up, right? Like there's a time for us to work really really hard. But there's also a time to be like, eh, I don't want to suck it up anymore. I'm going to get rid of a bunch of this stuff in a positive way. That's not Jameson. Uh, well, Jameson's pretty positive. Sometimes. It's delicious. I would agree. <laughs> we just got back from Ireland a few months ago. <laughs> um, no, um, I know, but I don't know. And and I think Kevin, I think the answer to that question is. Um, all of us as chief officers, as leaders in the organization, as captains, um, we have a responsibility to, um, I think, lay the information out to our folks. 
hey, I think this might be something that would be beneficial to all of us. And I tried it and it had this impact, you know, one, two, three, four, this is what it did for me. And you might find the same impact, or we might find out that it has no impact. And by laying that out there and, and saying, hey, raise your hand, does anyone want to give this a try? And we did that the very first time with TM as an example. Does anyone want to give it a try? Uh, let me know by next Friday. And, and probably, you know, five, six days, we had eight spots in the pilot class. And um, five, six days into it, we had eight individuals that volunteered and said, hey, I'll give it a try. And we told them we just want to do a survey. And really what we're looking to do is, if this is beneficial to you, what kind of benefits does it does it hold? And then finally, after after doing it for a month, doing it three months, doing it six months, is this something that you would recommend that we would offer to other firefighters? And had a great impact to me. If it doesn't have any impact to anyone else, no harm, no foul. It's great. You know, we, we spent a little bit of money and a little bit of time and it's all good. In this particular case, those eight came back and 100% found a benefit. For some people, it was multiple benefits, but 100% said, yes, we should be offering this up to everyone. Word of mouth, Kevin, um, when we offered up in the fall, our second group um, put it out and said, please let me know by next Friday. And I <laughs> I don't think I'm exaggerating. I hit send and within 30 minutes, all the spots were filled and we had a waiting list. Cool. And so, and what I know is when people would come into the office and say, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this class. And I, I would ask the question, why are you excited? Well, because the firefighters upstairs have been talking about the benefits that they got. And that wasn't Mike talking. That was the firefighters. And it was just giving them the opportunity. And, and I think a lot of chief officers, if, if, you know, really back to your question, which is how can chiefs influence this? It is to be open to there's other ideas out there. There's other ways to do this. And especially with all that we're getting from science and, and some of these these programs, that we should be open to trying it. One of the difficult things in an organization this size compared to where I came from at South Metro is the amount of money and resources and time in the day. Um, we don't have a, a full staff of, you know, human performance optimization uh, group like, like South Metro does. So a lot of us wear different hats. So sometimes we have to be a little bit more um, focused and, and pick one or two or three projects compared to, I can take 20 firefighters from A shift and 20 from C shift and try two different methodologies. We can't do that in our, our size. So that's the only thing I would say is be open to the ideas. And if you don't have the time or the resources to do it, write it down and come back to it. Yeah, that's great stuff. Um, I want to chase a little bit of a thread here that I actually just kind of have a personal question of is, you know, there's this narrative since I've been in the fire service since 2005 of um, at a lot of departments where we just completely bash white shirts and we bash chief officers. And I know that that probably never happened when you were riding on the rig, um, but it happens at every organization to some extent. Um, so why, I mean, why do you think there there's this constant or this constant narrative because, you know, these people have stepped up, they've, they've gotten formal leadership. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're leaders, right. But they've, they've been granted formal leadership. So there was something at some point and 
we do have white shirts that are doing amazing things. Um, we have white shirts that are doing amazing things, but people just don't agree with it, right? Because it might be a painful situation for them. So we need awesome chief officers, right? We need awesome company officers. We need awesome firefighters. Um, so how do we how do we start to maybe change that narrative a little bit, like at the company level? It's wow. There's a million dollar question, uh, <laughs> and 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 an important one, and it it really is, and. Um, a couple times a month, I'll I'll be at some chief meeting, a bunch of white shirts sitting there, and and I'll hear white shirts talking about their firefighters, and you know, they're grumpy, they don't like anything, and and all of that, and and I think that you and I would know that that's not accurate either. Um, that that our firefighters are helpful servants that want to make their job better, and they want to take care of Mrs. Smith better. Um, and there are firefighters or fire chiefs that that have this narrative going as well. And I, I agree with you for the last 40 years, I've been hearing that. Um, there's there's a couple sides to that. The, the first one that I would say is that if, if you're a firefighter, you're a company officer, and you're trying to help your firefighters have better mental health, part of it is to recognize that every change that comes down the pike probably more than more often than not has a reason. There is some logical reason for it. And we need to find out what that reason is because what I find is that most of us in the fire service are reasonable human beings. And if I understand the reason, I might not agree with it, but if I understand the reason, the rationale, um, more often than not, uh, I'll say, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I get it. I Maybe I'd make the same decision if I were the chief. So getting the other side of the story, and, then, and we have to recognize, right, is as Huberman has uh, recently talked about in his podcast with neuroscience and uh, with uh, with Brooks, um, talking about happiness, right? One of the things that we all suffer from as human beings is our brain is more wired for negativity than positivity, 80% to 20%. And that's a survival mechanism, right? The idea is I'm, I'm walking through the woods and I see something, a little shadow move over there my brain has to tell me that that is a danger. That's the saber-toothed tiger that's going to eat me. And I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to start out with a positive thing there because I might get eaten. And we have to fight through that. And I think in society right now, we're really suffering because social media is geared towards that 80%. It's, it's I'm going to set myself up against someone else. So as leaders at the company level, we have to fight through that and help our folks understand that it doesn't have to be that way. The other side of that coin is, um, and, and I am one so I can say it, uh, a lot of my colleagues, and I joke about this all the time, but a lot of my colleagues uh, will play the game of, instead of uh, rock, paper, scissors, what they'll do is they'll play uh, rock, paper, bugles. And, 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 you know, five always wins. And, and that's not the way it should be, right? I, I work for the firefighters in this department because when I work for the firefighters in this department, they take care of Mrs. Smith better. And that's really what my job is. And uh, I do a lot of reading on stoicism. And I, I would imagine that there's some, some stoic books in, in your library, knowing your philosophies, right? And it's, it's the Marcus Aurelius effect, right? Here's a guy who was the emperor of Rome, the most powerful nation in the world, but yet he was with the people. He was walking among the people. He was learning. He was constantly doing those things. And I think that's what we have to force ourselves to be like all the time. 
And so I know that was a long answer to it, but but both sides uh, start out with this negative kind of mindset and we need to to force ourselves into the, finding the good in each other and recognizing that 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 we're all on the same team and we all have the same goal. Um, sometimes my restraints with uh, budget or politicians or things like that, um, you know, I should keep that away from the firefighters that you don't need to know about the politics and the silly things like that. And uh, I, I'm here to take care of the firefighters. And and I think if we all come at it from that perspective, I think we can find the the middle ground that works. Yeah, I'd agree. And <clears throat> I think you've you've said it a bunch of times today as it starts really with being vulnerable with your folks establishing relationships and building high quality, high performing teams, but also being willing to spend that lonely hard work or those one-on-one -on -one conversations that maybe you don't want to receive and hear, but you're willing to be, you've established those relationships where they can say, uh, they're not attacking you, but they say, Hey chief, like explain why. And that's not a, that's not an attack. It might come across as an attack, but if we don't just like, you know, as a company officer, if I tell the probity to do something, I shouldn't be surprised if he's like, okay, why? Like, that doesn't make any sense. He's not saying, well, I know a better way to do it. It's, can you expand on that? Because it's not connecting the dots in my brain, right? The sympathetic, parasympathetic stuff, fight or yeah. flight. Um, is this conducive to my survival is really where that is coming from, which is a, a physiological response to everything that we do all day long. That's what our brain is doing. It's scanning for threats all day. So if I, if you tell me to do something, I'm like, okay, but why? Like, that's not an offensive thing to me, you know? So how, yep. what do you have to say about that? No, it, it's it's absolutely, I, I turned around, I realized I got the, you know, the little screensaver on my Zoom screen here. So you can't see the the sign that's behind me on my, on my uh, little file cabinet back here. But it's a big sign that says, what would it look like if every member of the organization cared about the success of every other member of the organization? And, and and when we come at it from that perspective, and, and uh, when I was the training chief at South Metro, uh, we get a rotation of lieutenants and captains every couple of years that would come in and be training officers and safety officers. And one of the first things I would say to every single one was, when you're on the drill ground or when you're on the fire ground, do me a favor, don't critique anyone until they know that you love them. Once someone knows that you love them, that critique comes from that place and says, Kevin, I want you to do better. You're a great firefighter. I know you can do better. And I want to give you this piece of feedback to help you be better. And, and if we can come at it that way, there's still going to be some of those firefighters that won't ever take it that way. But once we come at it, and that's the culture of the organization, then it becomes easier to have that dialogue back and forth. Yeah, I agree. That was a fun little tangent we took right there. I appreciate that it. It was awesome. I love it. You know, that's the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, shift work. What kind of shift work do you guys do? What kind of schedule do you run? And then you're, I've heard a rumor. I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard you got kind of a funky start time. Well, Funky, define funky. Funky, That's, right? Yeah, it's outside. Probably different, probably different than your department. In fact, yeah. it's probably different than every department in the state of Colorado. But uh, yeah, it is a little bit different. So we work forty-eight ninety-six, uh, like like many departments in Colorado, and you know more more towards the western half of the U.S. 
what is different is that every member of the department starts at 1900 rather than 0700. Um, and we've been doing that now for, I feel like it's, I, I think January will be two full years. Uh, started as a pilot program uh, two and a half years ago where the battalion chiefs went to nighttime shift change. And uh, and then that that escalated. And, and uh, two years ago, we did a trial uh, where everyone went to uh, 1900. And then they took a vote at the end of that trial to determine whether they wanted to stay or not. And uh, overwhelmingly, they they wanted to stay on that that system. But here's the one thing again. I gotta I gotta share just the history of where that really came from. Came from 2001, 9/11. Have several really good friends that now are retired from FDNY, but uh, worked at FDNY at the time. And um, buddy call, calls me up. He's a firefighter in a rescue company in New York, and probably around. Uh, October, November, December, maybe after 9-11. And we're talking and he says, Mike, he goes, I got to tell you something that's killing me right now. And I said, what's that? And he says, these 24-hour shifts, these 24-hour shifts are killing me. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, they've got us on a 24-hour schedule because we've lost so many guys in rescues and, and you know, that's it's the best we can do right now. And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, I get it. You know, you work night shift and day shift, but you've had a trade partner as long as I've known you. You've always done 24s. And he said, oh, yeah, it's true. I always work 24s. But the difference is when we do 24s, we start at 1800. Right now, they've got to start at 0700 or 0800, whatever the time was. I said, my friend's name is Tom. I said, Tommy, I said, 24 is 24, man. And he goes, oh, no, it's not. No, it's significantly different. And he went through all of the reasons why, as a guy who had been working 24s starting at night, how it had changed his physiology starting early in the morning. And I thought, boy, there's something to this. And uh, so I had a period of time when I was at South Metro. I was the shift commander. We, we referred to him as district chiefs. We had five battalions and then a, an on-duty uh, shift commander that was uh, the district chief. And I was that person. I was responsible for staffing on B shift. And so you got 178 little B shifters and, and, uh, you know, you got to make sure that they've got all the spots, all the seats filled. And we were getting up to do shift change. We were getting up at three or four o'clock in the morning to fill all the vacancies from vacations, sick workers comp, all those things. And it was killing us. And so I threw that out to the other district chiefs, A, B and C shift. And we said, let's give it a try. And we went for a period of time starting at 1800. And when I retired from South Metro, we were on that schedule. Now they've sh since gone back today because they have a staffing person that does staffing for them now. They also have baristas and masseuses and things like that, but that's different. That's a different story. And so when I came up here, guys were asking me about that and that's kind of what sparked the conversation. So, so where I'm going with all of this, Kevin, is the big thing that really mattered to me was what was the impact to the average firefighter on the line? And what we did is we, we ended up with uh, this type of feedback. They had more engagement with their family, more quality time with their kids. And think about why that is. If I get up at zero seven, if I work at zero seven hundred and I get up to go to work, if I commute a little ways, right? I might be getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning 
And I'm probably not seeing my kids before they go to school. I'm already out the door. So now I, I go to work. I sleep at the firehouse. I get up the next morning. I run my next part of my 48. I sleep that night. Now 0700, I get off. Pretty good chance by the time I get home, the kids are at school. So I don't see them until that following night. Now change that up. If I get off in the evening, six or seven o'clock in the evening and I go home, kids are probably up. I can help them with a little bit of homework. If it's nice out, I can toss the ball for a little bit or we can watch a movie. Maybe I can have dinner with them, whatever, whatever the schedule is. I sleep in my own bed and I get up the next morning. And I think all of us have pushed our way through that. We get up at seven o'clock in the morning in the firehouse. We had a rough night. And one of three things, right? We either go home and take a nap and then we feel like we're a lazy bum because we did it or we push through and you know go to bed at six o'clock at night because we're so beat or something in between those things well now I sleep in my own bed and I get a good night's sleep on that one plus I see the kids when they get up before I go to school or what have you so that change in that in that philosophy is just that I I get I get to see them before I go to work and I get to see them when I come home and, I, and I, I get more interaction with the kids. And everyone has, has uh, that has kids has talked about that as being pretty impactful. Um, the uh, improvements, and we can show it with uh, our whoop straps and our Fitbits and those things, that we had uh, an improvement in heart rate variability by that schedule um, and better overall sleep over the four-day, more restful four days. Um, and, and this is the weirdest part about it, and it goes back to what my friend Tommy said. Almost every single member said it feels like the 48 hour shift is shorter than 48 hours. And I experienced that when I was at South Metro. It felt like it was like this 36, 120 thing. It was so strange. It's the same exact 4896, but it felt like you were, you know, and, and I don't know what that is in, in our psyche. Maybe it's the circadian rhythms. But for some reason, it felt like the shift was just a little bit shorter and the four day was just a little bit longer. So interesting. Now, my mind's pretty much blown on this. So I'm trying to process it all and think about all my nerdism and research I've been doing on sleep and and all of that stuff, um, which we certainly will get into a whole lot more here through firefighter craftsmanship. Um, I think probably the first... I mean, what sort of feedback have you gotten from chiefs across the country? Let's start there. Or unions. A lot of questions, uh, you know, as you would imagine. And one of the difficult, and this is a silly thing, and, and we shouldn't be dealing with this, but we are dealing with it. And it is the software that makes our scheduling work in the fire service is not made for this schedule. And so we, we suffer a little bit and we have to, the way we have to, trick the system, if you will, is instead of working 4896, we work several 12s that are strung together. And that's what makes this system sort of sort of work. We have gotten some feedback from our firefighters. Uh, we do have mandatory overtime here. Not, not a lot compared to most departments, but we do have some. And as a result of that, in, in part because of the IT, our mandos are 12s. And interestingly, we've gotten some negative feedback from some of our firefighters that they would rather that their mandos were 24s. Mm. And, uh, you know, if, if I'm going to come in, you know, I want the full 24. 
And so we've gotten some of that feedback and, and we're working on some ways to, to get through that. Here's the thing, Kevin, we get a lot of questions about this. I would say I answered this question a couple times a week. Um, I think a lot of people are really interested, but it is much like as, as you probably experienced at PFA, um, a lot of, uh, there's always consternation with the change of the schedule. And so a lot of people are interested. Not too many people have pulled the trigger yet on it. And I think it's easier here in a smaller place to, to give it a try. And the other thing I'd say about this culture is if that feedback had come back uh, where it was overwhelmingly negative, we would have flipped the switch and, and said, nope, let's let's stop doing it. We're, we never marry ourselves to a decision that's a bad one. Uh, we quickly divorce ourselves from the bad decisions, uh, and that's that's part of our culture. And I'm I'm really proud of that that piece. I think a lot of departments, you know, well, you did it, and we've spent the time, and we paid for the IT changes, and now you're stuck with it. It doesn't have to be that way. And and so I I can understand where some people are reluctant to do it because maybe their culture is is that way. Now, what I I would think a consistent probably concern is like, well, what about training? You know, like I know on day one, I can get them to train during the day because they haven't gotten pummeled at night, you know, and we have, you know, with some of our departments, especially, you know, South Metro or some of the bigger Metro departments, you got companies that are getting up five, six times a night on average, they're running 20 plus calls a day. Right. Um what, what about that? And I'm sure that you've heard that question more than once is, so, I mean, I guess, first off, what about training, but then also how fluid is your department? I have a feeling I know the answer, but right. A crew is up all night on a haystack fire or a nasty wreck or whatever, or they just run a bunch of medicals. Are you like, Nope, it's on the calendar. You guys are coming to training. Yeah. Uh, on any given day, you'll hear this, this term, in the hallways, right? It's it's Semper Gumby, uh, always flexible. And uh, if uh, it bums me, I will say this. Um, there were chief officers that I worked with through the years um, at South Metro uh, that th there's a policy at South Metro that is when we went to 4896 that you had to be out of bed by I think it was 630 or you know 0600 I, I remember the exact time and there were there were literally there were chief officers that would get up early drive to xyz firehouse and make sure that they were out of bed and and, and kevin i i look at it this way man i i trust the sisters and brothers that are upstairs with my life and the lives and property of everyone that lives in this district and if they need to sleep, I trust them to decide that they need to sleep. And if they need, if we need to adjust the training schedule so that engine one who got just absolutely beat up last night, they were scheduled to go to training, but engine two's going this afternoon, you flip it or we cancel training or we, you know, we'll, we'll make it up somewhere. Um, and that's, that's that Semper Gumby that we come up with a, with a good answer for that, that piece of it. So yeah, that just just kind of goes without saying as far as I'm concerned. But I, I also understand the question that probably doesn't go without saying in every organization. Yeah. Well, I think you tied back to maybe some of that constant narrative when you have chiefs that are babysitting people and making sure they're up. I mean, there's a difference between sleep. I know people that sleep all the time that are 
insanely high performers. And if we look at the NBA specifically, like they're leading the charge on this, right? They have a window of time, you know, two-ish o'clock where two to four is is nap time for players because those guys only work at night. And so agents can't call them, media can't call them, coaches can't call them. Like as a league, they've said, hey, sleep is the thing for the product that we're putting out on the floor, which is an entertainer that gets paid a ton of money, right? But they only work at night. And so we're allowing these people to, we know sleep uh, enhances their career. And if we look at like a LeBron James, who, you know, has been playing basketball forever and at a super, super high level, um, we know that sleep is, is his number one thing is sleep. It's a great, it's a great example, Kevin. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think when we have the babysit culture of like, well, I know people that are crazy, lazy that don't sleep. I know people that are crazy, lazy that sleep all the time. Right. And I know high performers in both of those as well. Just the high performers that don't sleep, they can't maintain it for a long time. And they have uh, areas of detriment in the rest of their life. Um, typically it's not just, you know, what they do. Um, yeah. They might be a high performer as to what they get paid for, but not necessarily everywhere else, which is kind of the point. And I, I think, you know, it's it's something that I was I was thinking about talking about with you just briefly today. And, and that is I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts here recently. And they were talking about, you know, professional athletes, whether they were, you know, uh, basketball players, football, whatever. And, you know, that that the job of that person, it, they're an entertainer and they're using their body in such a way that everything about their body and their mind is part of their product, how they eat, how they sleep, how they work out, uh, all of those pieces factor in to the end product that you're talking about. And I think a lot of times in a fire service, we always talk about ourselves being industrial athletes, but I think we need to put even more emphasis on that to say that the end product, the, the incident I'm going to go on in 10 minutes is is a physical activity and how I eat, how I sleep, how I work out is a part of that. And we should be looking at those professionals that coach those professional athletes in nutrition and sleep and, and, and uh, workouts to, to make sure that we're doing as much as we possibly can. And don't get me wrong, keeping the firehouse clean is, is important. That's the public's property. We should keep that. The fire engine is important. But we are the product. We're the ones that are delivering the service and we need to take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And this this podcast will release after one that I did about that recent fire rescue one survey of what firefighters want in 2023, right? And that that stat, I'm going to read it here just so I don't mess it up, is 67% of those almost 2,200 firefighters that responded stated that stress from the job is negatively affecting their health. And I, I'm actually surprised it's that low. I would have thought it would have been up 80 to 90%. And maybe it's it's however that question was asked or how they interpreted it, right? But I, sure. I threw that stat at somebody the other day and he was like, oh yeah, I mean, I have to take these supplements to get these different chemicals, um, you know, testosterone in my body higher because of the job. And so Thank like, um, it's not just, well, I have a cardiac insult because I don't sleep, even though we know that that is, true right that's been heavily studied with sleep deprivation and cardiac insult um, but now there's a direct correlation to sleep deprivation and cancer you know um and we can chase this for hours right so i yeah. think that you're i think you're spot on and it's great it's really 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 refreshing to hear 
a chief of department that's saying, hey, I trust my people. Um, um, and from talking to people that work for your organization, you know, they feel that same way, which is really, really cool. Um, but also has some emotional intelligence and intelligence and self-awareness of, man, we got to ebb and flow. And then also this is the product of what we're trying to put out for our communities and the people that visit our, our districts, you know, and might have to see us for unfortunate circumstances. So it's very, very refreshing. So I just want to say thank you for that to, to share some of that. It's appreciated. Uh, it's uh I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky to have this job. And, I, you know, I do my very best to think about um, when I worked in a, in a firehouse, what, what I was thinking and what I thought was important and making sure that, that uh, you don't lose sight of that because that's, uh, I, I, I don't, when I meet someone and they say, what do you do? I don't say I'm a fire chief. I, I say I'm a firefighter. I just happen to have that rank. And and I think that's important for all of us to remember that that's we signed up to ride the big red fire fire truck and and uh not not to you know not to do this job. This job I get to help the people who ride the big red truck and and that's that's really a blessing. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to ask you kind of another big loaded question, which you know, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges, like one or two of the main ones um, that department or leadership is dealing with in today's fire service? And how do we maybe specifically related to mental fitness, mental resiliency, mental health, human performance? Um, and then what sort of opportunities exist maybe for even a department that doesn't have endless money, which no department has endless money, right? We're government entities. We can't just create a new product line and get more revenue. Um, so every department is strapped with cash. Um, some put their money where their mouth is. Some are really, really trying to do that. And some are also in a bad situation based on how their funding formula works. And they're just trying to make sure that they have firefighters that have even one set of bunker gear that works, you know? So what do you think those big ticket items, one or two of those that you see from your perspective, what are the big ones that we need to kind of address and, and big fish we need to fry? I think, um, all of us, I, I don't go to a meeting. I don't hear anyone talk about recruiting as a as a difficult struggle in the in the fire service right now. And I think that part of it is is our expectation is maybe different than the the workforce that we're seeing, and we need to be adaptive to that. And and uh, I'll give you an example. And I'm sure you hear it in your your department. I'm sure some of the listeners uh, hear this as well. Well, these kids today, they don't, they don't, they don't know how to start a lawnmower. These kids today, they don't know how to work on an engine. They, you know, I, I want them to drive the brush truck and they've never driven anything bigger than a, you know, a tiny little car or a, you know, whatever. And uh, a, a friend of mine recently, again, another FDNY guy said, you know, he shook his head and he said, you got to understand something for the last hundred years the FDNY has been teaching firefighters how to operate engines and such, because if you grew up in New York City, you probably didn't have a car. You were taking mass transit. Uh, you, you didn't have a chainsaw because you didn't have a yard. And so, you know, sometimes we have this belief of what a firefighter should look like, and, and maybe they don't look like that. And we need to change that and figure out how to build our training programs so that we help those folks. We also need to give them the tools up front so that they're more resilient. All the things that you're talking about on your podcast and all the things that you're working on, Kevin, is, is just so important. Um, 
that it, I think whether whether we did this to our children or wherever it is, right, that that maybe, uh, you know, that they didn't grow up uh, maybe as hard as we grew up or something like that doesn't make them less hard. It just means that that they're less trained in that particular skill. So how do we help them gain those skills and be more resilient? And there's just so many great tools out there to, to do those things. Um, I think once you once you start to consider that all young firefighters are valuable and and teachable and you know will fit in, uh, then you find the ones that will, and you find the ones that will fit into your culture that want to serve the public and be okay if they're only going to be here for five years or 10 years or 15 years. That's a little different, right? As a 40-year guy, um, we have to embrace that that kids today want to try a couple different adventures in their life. And you know what? There's there's some days that I think back, maybe I missed the boat on that, but it's been a heck of a ride anyway. Um, and just embrace it. And, and that five or 10-year firefighter, they have a lot to contribute in those five or 10 years that they might be here before they become something else. And, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think both of those kind of tie back, you know, we start with why Simon Sinek of starting with why and not being attacked when somebody asks you, well, why they're trying to learn. That's why, you know, and, um, and I think, you know, for recruiting specifically the, the best people you talked about it with the transcendental meditation is word of mouth. If you've built a culture in your fire departments, if your your companies, those sorts of things, those are your best salespeople that you got, you know, and that, again, that fire rescue one survey talked about people that would recommend the fire service. And it was pretty low. It was really scary, you know, and um, I've heard that chatter across the country of people being like, well, I recommend the fire service, but I tell them do not come to this fire department like that's a problem. And it's not necessarily a problem that that person is advocating against working for their own organization. It's that's a problem from a cultural standpoint and all the systems and processes and all the happiness at work and all of that stuff. Some of those people that I've talked to are crazy high performers and they're like, man, I love this gig, but I would go work for those dudes instead. And that's, you know, right. Like let's have that conversation at the macro level all the way down to how can we make sure that our people are feeling taken care of and they're happy when they come to work or happy when they go home. We're building them tough firefighters. We've got great basic skills. We've got great customer service who are super nice to people. But then when they go home, they're nice to their family and they're nice to themselves, right? Like that's a conversation that we need to absolutely have. Love it. Absolutely do. Um, you know, and then that resiliency up front, right? That's our, that's our thing here at firefighter craftsmanship. So Thank you so much, Chief. Um, what's a, What are some good ways that people can reach out to you if you want your phone to keep ringing more than it already does? Uh, absolutely. Email is always the best. And uh, I have an unusual email. It is mwest at frfr.co. And everyone wants to type in that M at the end of that CO, but it's CO like Colorado. So mwest at frfr.co. And uh, we've got you know, some, some member studies on uh, transcendental meditation. I get a whole bunch of resources on that. I have member studies on our nighttime shift change. We've got our uh, FRFR way document. You're, you're welcome to cut and copy, but I, I really do think build that at the firehouse level and go up on that one, but I uh, can give you a really good sample on that. And, and anything I have uh, is, is open and free to anyone. I, I want to share that with as many firefighters because 
uh, as as my career starts to sunset, um, I, I feel like I got a hard drive full of stuff that I want to share and get out there and and have folks use and and uh, change and improve on. Awesome. Thank you much. And you're pretty active on LinkedIn as well. You're putting out some great content there and stirring the stirring the pot, circling the wagons a little bit. It's maybe just a little. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So thank you again, Chief. We really appreciate uh, the amount of information that you're willing to spend uh, to give here today and then help people, you know, with further questions, things like that. I'll link to a bunch of the links that he talked about in the show notes, including the Huberman podcast about happiness. And for those of you that are into human performance, you're well aware of Andrew Huberman, but if not, that'll be in there as well. Um, we appreciate the support for Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast. Continue to rate, review, and share this and uh, smash on that good old follow button so you don't miss one of these weekly episodes. So uh, thank you again, Chief. Thank you to everybody that's listening and stay smart. Thank you for listening to the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast where we give you real tools to train ultimate Huber performance both on and off the emergency scene. You can find more information on our webpage at firefightercraftsmanship.com, including all the classes that we offer, and there's plenty of free resources and training on the site as well. Reach out to us on social media, including Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to have a conversation and figure out how we can help you achieve your goals. Stay smart. Stay smart.